You would have been run through. The enemy would have been upon you. You would have been burned in your bed. Up. Did the old man ever sleep, she wondered. Did he ever truly sleep? Or did the pain in his leg, that twisted, useless leg, keep him marching the floorboards through the night, waiting for the respite of the dawn? But the war was over now, and the time for marching was done. Grace ached with tiredness. She would have liked to lie in her bed, she often thought it. Just lie in bed and listen to the city awaken. On this morning, too, she would have given much to lie in her bed, wait for the bells, sleep on and on. But the city was wakening, and would soon be at their door. As ever, on waking, as on drifting to sleep, her thoughts turned to Elias. Just last night, Will Fiddler had been teasing her uncle, as he was wont to do, about terrorising every suitor who came her way. Samuel had defended himself by listing Grace's many virtues in the face of the innumerable failings of the generality of his customers. And only a good man will take her from me. None but a good man. He had gazed fondly then at Elias, and Grace had not been able to keep herself from glancing in the same direction and feeling a surge of warmth at the lawyer's bashful smile. Elias had returned in the evening, and was his habit, full of the talk and doings of the day from Clifford's Inn and the Temple, anxious to talk about them again with whoever might be in the coffee-house, seek new views, before going home at last to Maria, to talk them out once more, and scribble down his thoughts as his supper grew cold. Last night he had been on a new topic, the rumours of Cromwell's desire for an empire. "'Do you truly think it will happen?' A war on the Spaniards for the Americas, Samuel had asked. I hope not. Maria speaks more and more lately of the new beginnings that are to be made there. She would have us go and make a life in New England, in a freedom that is no longer to be had here. Grace had found herself gripping the counter as her stomach tightened. Only her uncle had noticed her reaction. He turned again to the young lawyer. You would be, Mr. Elias, if you left us. Elias had shaken his head, animated. "'But you would come to you and Grace. Think, you could have a coffee-house there, and I could have my own newsbook without censorship or fear of retribution. And the man in the moon might deliver to you fresh green cheese every day,' a young clerk had laughed, before taking up his hat to go home for the night. But Grace hadn't cared about the young clerk's mockery, because Elias hadn't been listening to him. He'd been looking at her and smiling. Shortly afterwards, the bell of St. Michael's had sounded for six o'clock, and Will Fiddler had flown out the door to the printers to collect some programmes he planned to sell at a recital at the Dutch church that night. Grace had gone over to plump the cushions in the private booth, thinking of the woman who had been sitting there earlier in the day. Anne Winter had spoken to her with envy of Grace's freedom, and of her own capacity in the gilded cage of Whitehall. And Grace had not, as others might have done, looked at the woman's fine clothing and compared it with her own plain and serviceable dress, not coveted the smooth pale hands of Anne Winter that were not roughened by labour as her own were. Grace had understood. She had thought she could feel the woman's presence still there, hours after she had gone. She'd almost finished her tidying when the door of the coffee-house had opened, but she hadn't looked up. It opened a hundred times a day at least. 
but then all of the clamour of the coffee room had fallen to a silence that was broken only by her uncle's voice. John! Lieutenant! John will do, Samuel, the man had said. By turning her head slightly, Grace had been able to see through the turned wooden bars at the back of the booth. She'd caught her breath. Standing in the middle of the coffee room floor had been a soldier of Cromwell's new model army. He was certainly not the first soldier to cross her uncle's threshold. Many of Samuel Kent's old comrades had found their way to Birchin Lane to take their pipe with him and talk over old campaigns before moving on. But this was no old soldier, nor ordinary infantryman either, but an officer of high rank, accustomed to command. Words spoken to her in this very booth only a few hours earlier had come back to her then.